So James 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 20. I'll read the whole context, but we're probably going to get to verse 16 this morning. Let's stand together for the reading of God's powerful, holy, inerrant Word. Hear God's Word to you this morning. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of, a, of an effective, I'm sorry, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Ascends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and to our lives this morning. You may be seated. We really need to pray one more time for this passage. Let's pray. God, we thank you that so many places in your word are clear. And that the problem, more often than not, lies in the fact that we don't want to listen. Forgive us for that. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word. But sometimes, Lord, like this morning, there are passages that are hard for all of us to understand perfectly. And so we ask that You would help us this morning understand what we can understand, Lord. And help us, more importantly, to put into practice the things that we do know this passage teaches, instead of worrying about the things we don't understand perfectly. So be with me as I preach, and be with all of us as we hear and heed your holy message to us that can change us and make us more like Jesus and glorify you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we've seen the book of James, particularly as we started uh, looking at James 5 last week a little bit, or the middle passage. We saw that James has given us strong biblical encouragement to bear up under unjust suffering by the grace of God. And he's told us what? To be, to stand firm, to hang in there, to persevere in the faith as we await something very important. And he told us what we should be waiting for on a daily basis is the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just as God promised for thousands of years that Jesus would come the first time, and he kept that promise. And we worship and we praise and we thank him, especially every Christmas season, right? We have weeks and weeks where we celebrate the first coming of Christ. James says, guess what? He came the first time like a lamb. He's coming the next time as a lion to right every wrong. We won't have to worry about injustice. King Jesus is going to make everything right someday. And so he tells us in last week's passage, you can uh, look in the verses before if you want later as you have time. He tells us to stand firm, to be patient. And he tells us to take our gaze beyond our present difficult circumstances to the coming of the Lord. 
That was James's basic message last time. We see that in this life, the wheels of justice often go slow, don't they? We sit there and we long for righteousness to be uh, to manifest itself. We, we long to see wrongs made right as we look out in society, in our own lives. And so James assures us, and I want to make sure we see this very clearly from last week before I move on. James assures us, no one's getting away with it. You with me? Because sometimes we worry. And here's the issue. Either you have fled to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith so that He takes your punishment and justice does take place, doesn't it? Because Jesus pays. It's not free. He pays for your sins if you believe in Him. Or unfortunately, and it's heartbreaking for those who reject Jesus. And when they reject Jesus, then there will be hell to pay. They will have to pay. And so we don't say that lightly and we pray even for our enemies, right? We pray even for our enemies that they would find Jesus before it's too late now. And James says for believers, for those who have fled to Jesus, hang in there when all is not right in the world. You live in a fallen place. This isn't heaven yet. So often in my life, I'm trying to arrange things so I'm in paradise. And it doesn't take long before God shows me through circumstances, you ain't there, buddy. So it helps us to look forward on our pilgrim journey to the end of things. It helps us to endure now. But here's the question, and here's the neat thing that that James follows up that passage with. Are we to do nothing then until then? But wait? Just sit there and wait and see what happens? Not at all. James tells us exactly what we should be engaged in while we are waiting patiently for our Lord's second return. And surprise, surprise, here's the neat thing. It's not something new. It's not some strange, strange esoteric secret. You know, I'll tell you, as a pastor, and I've been doing this for a little while here, I am done searching for the secret. This is what I mean by that. You go to this seminar, oh, this is what you really, this is the secret to the Christian life. Everybody has to do this. And then you go there, and then as you just start buying that bag of goods, the next conference comes. The same people that led that conference, by the way, they're still, oh, no, no, not, no, 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 I'm sorry. That was good, but this is what you really need to know. You with me yet? So there's all these books, all these seminars. You're chasing them down for this little secret that's going to take away all your pain and help you with the Christian life, so you're always living the victorious Christian life. You're always walking on water. But what we find in the Bible constantly, consistently, the entire Bible, but we see it here in James in particular. I'm going to quote uh, Dick Lucas's way of putting it. He says this, We're not to look for new secrets, but to use the old weapons which are rusty in the cupboard. You get that? I thought that was profound. Because the rusty weapon that we so often don't utilize and use, surprise, surprise, is the weapon of prayer. Search your own heart. I don't have to go with statistics. How often do you pray fervently on, in a day? I'm talking to Christians here. I'm not talking to the world. How often a week? You know, I remember when, when you're um, looking for a call as a pastor, we have a ministerial data form. 
and they make you fill out like your whole life is under the microscope. And one of the things you have to write down is like for the week, they'll say, okay, like write down for every hour of every day for a week what you do. And I'll tell you, nothing was more convicting when I had to fill those things out. So I'm like, you know what? I better start praying more now and I'll fill it out next week. That's how pathetic I saw my prayer life. You with me? And that's one of the rusty, mighty weapons God has given us. Is prayer. It's all over in the New Testament and Old Testament. It's the most basic. It's the most powerful. And why is it the most powerful? And I stand by this statement. I got criticized for it in the past because people misunderstood it. Prayer can do what God can do. Think about that. Prayer can do what God can do. Why? Because when we pray, we're calling God to do what only He can do. It's through the power of prayer that, that literally moves in the Lord's heart and He answers our prayers in mighty ways. And that's exactly what James tells us should be occupying our time while we wait for the coming of our Lord and when we wait for the relief from all the suffering that comes from just being a sinner in a sinful world, we are to be praying in faith as we wait. Think about it. Why do we often lack spiritual power and stick to itness? It's because we don't pray. And I don't mean we don't pray before meals or maybe a few minutes here or there. You know, I do a lot of those. Those are good to do. <laughs> you shoot up the prayers like right before oh, I have a meeting, so I got to. Lord Jesus, help me talking to me. Amen. Hey, how are you, sir? You know, like, you know, those are okay. But if those are the only prayers you're doing, you're not praying. Last week I pointed out that James basically says that just as the farmer's job is to wait patiently, right? He waits for the early and the latter rains and he waits for God to bless the ground and he waits for the fruit of his labors to start coming out of the ground and bear fruit. Remember what I said. Basically, just as James says this, just as it's the farmer's job to wait for the crop, it is the Christian's job to wait for the coming of Christ. It's part of our calling is to wait. Hurry up and wait. But here's the neat thing as well. In verses 13 and following, James gives firm, solid biblical grounds for Luther's old maxim. Martin Luther once said this, and he's, he's always very down to earth. He says this, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes, and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. That's our business. No matter what our spiritual gift is, like in the church, we all have different positions. We all have different callings. We all have different gifts. So we all have different niches. But there's some things we all do in common, right? One of them is we are all called to wait patiently and in faith, even in the midst of suffering. All right, that's all of us. It's not just the most spiritual among us. It's from the littlest to the biggest, the one who started the Christian life two minutes ago and the one who's ready to meet Jesus. And the other thing we are all called to do is make it a holy work of prayer. Because here's the thing. Prayer is work. We all pray when we feel like it. That's the easy time to pray when I'm feeling all spiritual and warm and fuzzy. Then I'm like, you know, that's great. 
But to be consistent means you've got to pray when you don't feel like it. You know, it's like when you work out, if you only work out when you feel like it, like me, you're going to stay pretty chubby. But if you get up and say, you know, I hate doing this, I don't want to do it, but I actually, I know I eventually want to do it, and you go out and do it, it's going to pay dividends. It's not a perfect analogy, but it is an analogy. We need to pray, pray, pray. So what we're going to see in James is simply this, and I'm only going to do the first half of the message, so you should be happy about that. Give me a little time to digest until next week. We're going to see if we, as we await our Lord's return, we are to continue to pray and help those who have gone astray. I had to rhyme it somehow. So as we await our Lord's return, we are to continue to pray and help those who go astray. That's what James is going to talk about. We're only going to have time for basically uh, the first point that I want to point out, and that's this. When should we pray? That's what James is going to deal with. When? When's a good time to pray? Huh? Amen. Let's pray. But that is pretty much the answer, but we're going to keep going. When should we pray? Take a look at verse 13. If any of you is in trouble, he should pray. That's the first time we, uh, we should pray. Now, the word translated here as trouble is the same word used in reference to the suffering of the prophets in verse 10. Earlier, James said we should follow the example of the prophets who um, patiently endured and persevered even under suffering. And that word suffering is the same word here that's translated in the NIV as trouble. So in other words, is anyone suffering like the Old Testament prophets suffered? Well, then he should pray. Why does James say this? should be obvious, right? Well, James knows that often suffering, trouble, hardships causes unbelievers in particular to withdraw even further from God. They allow bitterness to take root in their, their lives and they direct all their anger against God. You follow me? So what they say is, oh, if, if you were loving God, you wouldn't let this happen. Right? And they start blaming God for all their suffering, all their misfortune. And so instead of drawing near to God, which is the believer's response because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our hearts have been changed, and when the pressure comes in, it shows who we, who's, to whom we belong. We start going closer to God. But what happens with unbelievers is what? They get bitter and angry. And they begin to draw further away from God. And what James is saying, especially to us who call upon the name of the Lord, who profess to be followers of Jesus, he says, is anyone in trouble? Then he should pray. He should come to God. God invites you in your suffering to come to him. Listen, I'm human. I don't have to tell you that. And sometimes, like, I don't mind, as a pastor, I, I, I actually delight. It's part of my calling to listen to folks pour out their hearts. But if I'm going all week and I'm hearing like 100 people get pour out their hearts, right, what happens? I get kind of full and I'm like, uncle, I just can't hear it anymore. But here's the awesome thing about God. God says, bring it on. You know, you're never going to tire me out. I'm the almighty all of his people could be praying at the same second of the same day around the whole world and he would be like, you haven't even scratched the surface. God wants you in his presence. He wants to hear your hurts. He wants you to cry out to him. He wants you to draw closer to him. As a matter of fact, sometimes trouble comes because you haven't been walking too close. Right? Before I was afflicted, David says, I went astray, but now I take heed according to your word. 
That's the response God wants. He says, come. James says, you in trouble? You suffering? Pray. And for us this morning, are we suffering? Is there trouble in your life? Are you facing trials and difficulties? Then draw near to God. Pour out your hearts before Him, O you people. Cry out in faith to your Father in heaven through Christ. And take hold of Him and His promises. And don't let Him go. I think of Jacob in the Old Testament. You remember what he did? He was wrestling with God. And, and the, the angel, and the angel finally said, come on, let me go. It's been too long. And he says, I'm not letting you go until what? Until you bless me. Remember that? James said, far from being the time to run away from God, this is the time you need him most. Get on your knees. What's really neat is I, I missed this last week, so the blessing is I can mention it now. I, I just mentioned it, but I didn't develop it a lot. In verse 11, James says something about God that sometimes we need to be reminded of. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's who God is. That's a part of His character. He may, in His wisdom and His sovereign will, He may allow things in our lives that we don't understand. It's true. And, and I, I'm going to give this illustration one more time, but just so you can understand it. When, when Caleb was little, um, he had a, a little respiratory problem. He was only like six months old, or maybe younger. This might have been when he was three months old. I don't remember now. But he was well under one. And they had to stick a tube on his nose, you know, and it had to go deep into his throat. and ugh, It's nasty. And so the nurse said to me, can you hold him down? Think about this. So here's the little kid that doesn't understand much. All he sees is his dad's face that usually your dad's face most of the time brings pleasant thoughts. He sees his dad holding him down while these strange people are sticking this device up his nose. And I literally remember seeing the look on his face of shock and of betrayal, like, not you too, dad. You know what I mean? And I remember being like, oh, because, you know, sometimes I'm a little sentimental. And I was just kind of like, I'm sorry. I'm talking out loud like he can hear me. You know, I mean, like he can understand me. I'm sorry, son, but this has to be done. And I remember being frustrated because there was no way to communicate to him. Son, it's because I love you that I'm letting this happen. Not only am I letting it, I'm, I'm making it happen. Because you need to be healed. Right? It's dangerous. You can't breathe. And I use that as an illustration because sometimes even if God tried, so to speak, to explain to us why he's allowing the hard things in our lives, we just would not understand it. We don't have the capability. Our God is infinite in his wisdom. He knows exactly what he's doing. But we're finite. Our brains are like these little peas. We can't take in all of his incredible, wise reasons for allowing suffering and hardship. So what we can do, even when we don't understand, is we can come into His presence by faith and say, Abba, Father, I know You are full of compassion. I know You are full of mercy. I trust You. I trust that even these horrible things that are happened, there has to be a reason. That's what faith is. Faith is taking God at His Word and it will be rewarded. 
George Stulak puts it this way, we might allow the fact of trouble to suggest that God is uncaring or unknowledgeable or unable to help, so we would pray less. The biblical instruction is the opposite. Pray more. Trouble is the very time to pray. Now, if affliction tempts us to draw away from God, think about this. Happy times tempt us to forget about God and go our merry way. And so that's why James goes on to say, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Because whereas when affliction comes, even some of the hardest among us would maybe start considering getting on our knees in brokenness. But when things are getting well, it's very easy to forget the mercy of the Lord and the goodness of God and how He helped you in your time of need when you drew near. And so you're tempted to walk away from God, go your merry way and forget His goodness and His mercy. And so James says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And this is what James is referring to. Augustine, an early uh, elder bishop in the church, probably around 400 A.D., one of my favorites, he said this, he who sings prays twice. And I don't think he meant he who sings some Rolling Stones song or something. What he's saying there is he who sings unto the Lord like we did this morning. That's why I take it very seriously. That's prayer. You're praying to God when we sing. And he's saying if you're happy, take that joy into the presence of the Lord and rejoice in his goodness. Praise him for his mercy. Tell him how much he means to you. That's what praise is. Magnifying him. As um, Pete said earlier, making much of him. Lifting him up. Glorifying his name. You're happy? Great. Praise him. Come into his presence. I gave you that example earlier and I told you I would mention it. The one woman who was showing some signs of seeking the Lord when she was going through tough times. This one woman in Japan, a Japanese woman. And she was really asking penetrated questions. She really, so when the missionary left for fundraising for a few months, she said she thought that maybe that woman had already come to Christ. That's how close she was. And she said when she came back, she found a totally different woman. And it wasn't a positive testimony. What happened was her son got into this exclusive school and she kind of moved up in the social strata and so that all her friends and neighbors now are looking to her as a special, incredible person and they were all asking her for advice on how they can get their kids into this school and all of a sudden, what happened? Things were going great, things were going well. She forgot about God and she started backing off. off. And she said she still comes to Bible study sometimes but her questions are very trite. They're not at all like deep and and really panting after God. Now they're kind of polite. And what James is saying, and we should be praying for her, and that's why I prayed for her this morning. But for each of us, that same thing can happen. Our souls can shrivel up in good times. Because we forget the goodness of God when things are going good. And so that's what he says. He says, is anyone sick and afflicted or anyone uh, in suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Look, as we look at when we should pray, we're starting to see a little pattern here. And Cliff said it earlier. And I'm going to quote from what we sang. If you're sick and you're afflicted, what? You got to talk to the Lord. If he adds to your possessions, I bet you always thought that was a weird one, didn't you? If he adds to your possessions, you've got to talk to the Lord. Do you get that one now? 
In other words, because he adds to your possessions, you can easily take your possessions and say, it was nice knowing you. And so that's why the song says, if he adds to your possessions, talk to him. Thank him. If you're down in deep depression, you've got to cry to the Lord, right? And whether joy or sorrow, you've got to talk to the Lord. And James is going to talk about this in a few moments. Start with his praises. That's where we start. Thank him for his love. Ask for his forgiveness. And he'll answer from above. I knew I liked that song for a reason. Now I look at this, I'm like, I think James Ward might have been reading James when he wrote this. I really do. I'm going to ask him. It is, isn't it? So we should pray on all occasions. That's what James is saying. And here's the thing, sometimes injustice prevails on this side of glory and we have to wait until that final day of true justice when Jesus comes. But we can rest assured that God's justice will prevail. But here's the thing, I think this is important to see and that's why I'm taking my time on this point and splitting the sermon up a little bit. As much as we know there are some things that in this life we will not see the answer to prayer about, There are some injustices that will not be made right on this side of glory. Sometimes we forget how many times God has said yes. Think about that. I know in my own personal life, if I can look back, especially since the time I've come to know Jesus when I was 19 years old, I can make, I mean, I would be like, I could write volumes and volumes of volumes of how many times God delivered my soul. Can I get an amen? How many times when I was under suffering injustice, when I, was, when I needed this big prayer request, God actually said, yes. But when there's that one thing that, we can't see, that doesn't seem to change because for some reason God and His will is not moving it, we focus on that and forget all the many, many times the Lord has delivered and has said yes and has blessed us. Count your blessings one by one. good example of this is hebrews 11 you remember that that's that whole great chapter in hebrews that talks about the men and women of faith that lived and died by faith and and the writer of hebrews says be like them by the grace of god trust till the end well this is toward the end of that chapter i just wanted to summarize this as an illustration he tells us that some through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. That's all about here and now, isn't it? But then he says others had trial of mockings and scourgings. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy. You with me? Sometimes when you're following the Lord, His answer is to bring about justice in this life. Other times when you follow the Lord, you glorify Him by giving your life to Him. For Him. Maybe Your suffering glorifies Him and helps the church and helps the gospel spread as an example. And so the issue is whether joy or sorrow, right? You pray. Whether His answer is yes or His answer is I'm sorry child, not at this time. You say blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what James wants to see. 
Because James cares about you making it to the end. That's the goal of the epistle of James is to see true believers believing all the way home. And then the last circumstance that James mentions that I'm going to deal with this morning, and that's the last thing we're going to talk about. We pray in sorrow and affliction. We pray in joy and happiness. And the next thing he brings up is when we are really, really sick. Physically sick. Look at verse 14 and 15. I think that's the last two verses we're going to be able to get to this morning. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand this passage perfectly. So I'm sorry if I disappoint you, but there are going to be times when I'm explaining this that I'm going to have to say, I think. Uh, one of the things I was just with Pastor Dan, who I served with for many years, and as associate pastor, he was pastoring and in Baltimore, and we presented our, our, our update yesterday. And I, I'm reminded of what he told me when I first started the ministry. Um, we were preaching through a passage that was very difficult at the time. And he, he said, here, I'm going to give you some advice, Sam. He said, preach what you know. Don't preach what you don't know. <laughs> and what he meant by that is, say, thus saith the Lord for the things you understand. And be honest with folks when you don't understand and say, ah. Keep praying and thinking and I'm willing to hear other people's opinions, but I'm not sure. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want, to, I want to share with you what we know the passage says, and we'll wrestle a little bit with things in terms of uh, some specific things that aren't as clear like we talked about earlier. So let me tell you what is clear before we start dealing with some of the things that aren't very clear. So in listening to the different times and circumstances where to pray, James mentions a very obvious one. He mentions when we are gravely ill. Think about it. Even today, in all the churches I've ever pastored or even been a part of, uh, I don't know that we did much of it this morning, which is kind of rare, but almost every time you say, is there any prayer requests, what happens? What, what is dominated in the prayer time? And it's not a bad thing. I'm just saying what normally dominates the time. Prayer for physical ailments. We're always, pray for my aunt. She had this, this operation. Pray for my friend. They got in this accident. You know, it's always about, a lot of times, about sickness. And rightly so. We should be praying for the sick. That God would bring healing. Amen. But James tells us if anyone's gravely ill, and I'll explain why I say gravely ill, they should call for the elders of the church to pray over them, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and that the prayer of faith will make the sick person well, and that the Lord will raise him up. So here's the issue. The issue is someone that's so sick, they can't even come to church. Because they're so sick, James says if they're sick, have them call for the elders to come. This is somebody that's like really in serious pain and sickness. They can't even go to the elders for prayer or the church. they got to pray for the elders to come to them. That's the way I see it in this text. It seems pretty clear. We're not talking about someone that's sneezing. Let's have the whole elders go over and anoint them with oil. We're talking about real sickness. That's the first thing. Second thing we have to see in this text, I don't care what persuasion of Uh, what denomination you're from in Christianity, we have to see that God does choose to heal this way. This is in the Word of God. We don't have any indication that this was a special time period only for the apostles or or a special gift of healing because it just says the elders in general. 
Not the elders who have the gift of healing, just the elders. But let me say this. If some circles talk way too much about supernatural healing, and if they cause much damage by scolding people for supposedly not having enough faith to receive healing from the Lord, in our circles, we may be guilty of not considering it enough. You with me? Because some churches talk about it as if it's God's will to heal everybody at all times. And then when a humble person broken over their sins or just broken over their physical pain, even if they didn't commit sin and it wasn't a sin issue, um, when they come and humbly uh, ask the Lord for healing and people lay their hands on and it doesn't work, then they're made to feel like they didn't believe enough or they're not true Christians. And that, my brothers and sisters, is wicked. The brother or sister suffering enough, don't you think? Then to add another burden that they don't have faith, enough faith. But in our case, I think we need to seek the Lord a lot more fervently for healing that can be had miraculously. How many times, even, even in my limited experience, I remember praying for people with cancer and I would hear the, we would hear the report, you're not going to believe this. The doctor says they can't find it anymore. It does happen, brothers and sisters. Though we don't demand it from God, we certainly should take up the means of grace and do everything we can. But there are a few sticky issues that need to be addressed. And the first one is relatively minor. And that's this. What's the anointing with oil in the name of the Lord? And so believe me, I'm saving a lot of time. I ain't going to get into the whole thing. But I'll tell you, there's two camps, two schools of thoughts, basically. One say the oil is like medicinal. It's like medicine. And the other one would say it's more spiritual, like like a symbolic anointing of the Lord's presence or of the Holy Spirit or of healing. Now, I, I definitely fall upon the, the second of the group. I do believe it's, it's a symbolic spiritual healing because I don't believe, even though oil was used sometimes for medicinal purposes, I don't believe in this text it can be shown that it's medicine. And oil doesn't necessarily heal somebody that's gravely ill. Even back in, in biblical times, they didn't think that. So I believe it is a symbolic thing. And I think Douglas Moo helps helps us explain. He says, the elders anoint the sick person in order vividly to show how that person is being set apart for God's special attention and prayer. I think we can at least say that. There's one other instance in the New Testament where we see um, the anointing of oil as well as miraculous healing, just so we can see that, and that's Mark 16.3. It says this, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now that could be Mark 6.3. I might have made a mistake. It's either Mark 16.3 or 6.3. But so there we have an example of where the apostles would also heal with oil. But the, the interesting thing is, almost all the other cases, oil is not even mentioned. So I think we could get so lost into wondering what the oil is, we forget oil isn't healing the person. Even prayer isn't healing the person. Ooh. It says the Lord will raise them up. The Lord will bring them back to health. The point is God tells us to use these means, which is when we pray, what do we do when we pray? When we pray, we say, God, I don't have the power and ability to heal. You do. Please, Lord, have mercy. We're acknowledging it's not us. It's not some magical power. It's not some special oil. It's the Lord Jesus. The one who raises the dead can also raise our sick bodies if he so chooses. 
And notice the theme of this whole, if you look at every verse, except for when it talks about the, two, the last two verses about straying, every verse is talking about prayer in this passage. So the theme of this, this passage is prayer. I just want to show you that so we don't lose our bearings here. Okay, a couple other things. We can't leave this without talking about. One of them is this. James seems to say, and this is the other controversial thing, James seems to say without any qualification, the, the prayer in faith will heal the person. You with me? You see why this could be a little difficult? In other words, there's no condition here. It says that he will heal. But here's the thing. Some people will jump on this and then claim it as 100% across the board. Every time we pray for somebody that's sick, they should be healed. Again, or it's a faith problem. But here's why a number of reasons I don't believe that's the case. Number one, James is often called the New Testament Proverbs, book of Proverbs. Think about the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It gave us principles, general principles for life. I'll, think of, I'll, I'll mention one to you. Uh, train up a child in the way in which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You with me? But guess what? Sometimes children raised in Christian's home, Christian homes never come back. Was that verse lying? Was the verse not true? Of course not. It's a general principle. The general principle is if you teach your child when they're young and you pray for them and you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, even if they stray, they're going to know where to come to come back home. You get that? That's a general principle. How many great testimonies we have of people telling these, you know, unshackled, you know, and they tell you these stories. Like, when I was little, I was raised in a Bible-believing church, but I got up in with some guys when I was, you know, and then they tell, and then there's a whole sordid story about then how the Lord brought them back. Tons of those stories. But does that mean 100% of the time that happens? No. And I don't believe in this text that James is saying 100% of the time. And I'll give you one big proof. 2 Timothy 4.20, the Apostle Paul says that he left his companion Trophimus in Miletus sick. Why am I saying that? So listen to what's happening. Paul is preaching the gospel. He has fellow missionaries. And the one missionary, um whatever that guy's name is I just said, (laughs) he was sick, very ill, and so Paul had to leave, and he had to leave him there. Why do I bring this up? Is there anybody in the Bible that you know of that had more faith, other than Jesus, than the Apostle Paul? Listen, the Apostle Paul was so mighty in faith that people would touch handkerchiefs that he touched and would get healed sometimes. So here's my point. He left his worker because it was not God's will to heal him at that time. If it was, believe me, Paul had enough faith. You follow the logic? This is not an absolute promise 100% of the time. But because it's not an absolute promise, some of us, um, we are afraid that it's not going to work and we don't ever do it. That's what I want you to see in this text. James is saying we should apply this as much as possible to today. And I've got to say one other thing that's important. 2,000 years ago, they did not have the modern medicine that we have today. If somebody had appendicitis, for instance, or any of those kind of things, you didn't just go to the hospital and they took care of it and you said, oh, that was an easy thing. A lot of people died of some of the most simple things that we have issues with today. 
So back then, listen, I think this is very important to understand. Back then, when we didn't even have that, those advances that God allowed us to have in these days of medicine, back then God still cared for his people. And he provided this special way to directly heal. And I'm not saying that means it's, we never use these, th- these verses today. I'm just saying it makes a lot more sense of why it was more prevalent back in a day when we didn't have the medicine we have today. That's all I have to say about that. And we could talk more about it another time and wrestle through the issues, but I think that's important to see. And the healing that God brings about through the elders' prayer and faith has a spiritual dimension. Look at this with me. This is the last things we'll deal with. James says, If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Something very important for us to see pastorally in our Christian lives. Something important. James says, if the sick person has sinned, he will be forgiven. Which means, logically, that not all sickness stems from your personal sin. You understand? So in other words, you know, when people are really, really sick, sometimes we can kind of think a little strange. We can kind of think, oh, I wonder what he did to deserve this. Right? You know what I'm saying? I'm, my mother used to say to me, and I, tongue in cheek, but uh, she used to say, see, God is punishing you. you know? <laughs> so like right away she'd go, that was, that was her like homepage, you know, that, right back. But what James is saying is, no, that's not always the case. There's an if clause. So, and if he has sinned, so some, but, but on the other side, James is saying, sometimes you're sick because you are disobedient. Sometimes you're sick because you've been going against the Lord and kicking against the goads. We have an example of this. 1 Corinthians 11, James says, because some, I'm not James, Paul says that when they were taking the Lord's Supper, some of them were doing it in an unrespectful, ungodly, carnal way. And he says, because of this, some of you are sick and some of you have even died. So there are instances where our disobedience takes on physical expression. Our spiritual life and our physical life and our emotional life, brothers and sisters, are all intertwined. You with me? Sorry for saying that a lot today. I don't know why I'm saying that you're with me. But anyway, they're all intertwined. And James acknowledges that, that here for us. And it's interesting, you need to see this too. Um, because there are whole denominations that, that take this one verse, confess your sins to one another, and they make this whole elaborate practice of you have to go to a priest and confess your sins. But notice in the text, does it mention a priest anywhere? It says confess your sins to who? Your pastor? No. To one another. So Martin Luther says, he's always a little sarcastic. He says, strange confessor mentioned in this text. His name is one another. In other words, we are to be confessing our sins one to another. And according to James 5, confession is not only good for the soul, but it's also good for the body. Some in the medical profession, like Carl Menninger, he's a psychiatrist, They recognize the toil that unconfessed sin can take on the body. He says, Carl Manager says this, if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. Do you follow that? That's how bad guilt and burden and anger and bitterness can really take a toll on your body. You know, like when doctors say stay away from stress because it's killing you? We know that even today. James is saying there is some connection. 
Certainly not always. Sometimes you're sick because you're sick. But think about it this way. If you're holding resentment in your body toward God because you've been accusing Him of dealing with you unfairly or because you're having trials and you're angry with Him as uh, James deals with in chapter 1, or maybe because you've been grumbling against your brothers and sisters in Christ incessantly talking about them and judging them, as James talks about in chapter 5, these things can weigh heavily on our souls. They can build up. They can tie us up in knots and literally have physical, so we have physical symptoms. Confession of our sins, especially those who we sinned against, God and others, can bring great relief, spiritual freedom, and reconciliation. How many of us, think about it this way, how many times in your own Christian life, if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, how many times when you get something right with a brother and sister in Christ, you just feel like so, like this huge weight is off your back. You ever have that? I know I have. Where, you know, it, it's just I kind of keep going heavier and heavier and heavier. And then when finally we get to that uncomfortable moment where I talk and I say, look, brother, I'm sorry. I have no excuse. All I can ask you to do is forgive me. And especially when the brother forgives or the sister. That burden's gone, right? I feel like I can literally fly. And that's, I believe, what James is talking about here. If anyone has sinned, his sins will be forgiven him. And by the way, James says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. That's what he says. Healed. When we have the honor, I'm closing with this, when we have the honor of listening to a brother or sister unburden themselves in this way, we would do well to remember that we may be soon on the other side, not hearing a confession but needing to make a confession. It keeps you humble when you're listening to someone else confess, knowing that you have feet of clay and you may need a brother or sister to, to humbly listen to you and un, while you unburden. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified even by the rankest sins of a brother. Isn't that good? When should we pray? Always. When we're in affliction, when we're happy, and when we're sick. Here's the thing. When we're sick, we can't even pray for ourselves. You ever been in serious pain where you could barely say like a word out? I was just laying out for a day. I had like a 24-hour stomach thing, and my wife is so good to me, she stayed downstairs. <laughs> because I, I would like, don't ask me any questions, not even like, do you want and my prayers were not long they were just a quick little have mercy father so when you're in that kind of situation right yeah that's about i could say father and he knew what i meant but when you're in that situation what a blessing it is for the elders to come right to lay hands oil symbolic oil and pray on your behalf and you could just feel the mighty presence of god even if he doesn't take away the sickness It's good to know God is with you. But sometimes, He will take it away. That's the promise we have here. So brothers and sisters, we're going to stop it here and we're going to see when should we pray? All the time. You know, Paul says in all circumstances, James, in a rare turn of events, James actually spells out the circumstances. Usually, Paul's the speller out and James just hits you in the head with it. This time, James lovingly opens it up. So this week, as you think about the grace of God and your merciful Father who's filled with compassion and mercy, make sure whatever circumstance you find yourself in, even this week, 
you take it to the Lord in prayer and find His mercy and joy in His presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this untapped, very often, gift and weapon of prayer. Father, this week we pray that we wouldn't just hear this, be encouraged, and then some of us go back to our old ways of barely praying. We pray that even this week, by Your grace, we would start some new habits of coming to You when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're weak, when we're strong. Uh, May we do this, Lord, not only for our own good, but that we might encourage our brothers and sisters to do the same, that we might be a good witness to the world who really need Your salvation, and that we might bring glory to You, Jesus who saved us by your grace, not by the works we've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.